It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome, everybody, to I'll Hang Up and Listen. Halloween night, all the spooky and spectacular stuff going on, whether it's outside, trick-or-treating, or down at KeyBank Center. Uh, I am joined by producer Steve himself, the host of Where the Buffalo Roam, and intern Vinny. Not really so much an intern now in my anymore, in my opinion, but I guess he'll always be known as intern Vinny. But tonight, he was <laughs> RJ down at KeyBank Center. He was the RJ to my Dominic Kashuk. And uh, we had a blast uh, covering the game for the Bat Blue, and uh, just a blast overall. Uh, when's the last time the Sabres scored eight goals in one game? You know, it's been a long time. And if there were three words each of you could use to describe tonight's eight-three uh, uh, win, what would they be? I'll start with you, Vinny. Um, well, like you said, it was a it was a fun one. Uh, yeah, I, I guess the name intern doesn't really fit in a technical sense, but. When something sticks, it sticks, so I'll just roll with it. <laughs> uh, with that said, uh, the Sabres were sticking like glue tonight. It, it seemed like Detroit really couldn't get out of their own zone, and when they did, there was not much There was not much they could do. No. You know, In the neutral zone, it's... they were trapped. In the offensive zone, they were barely getting chances. One of their goals was like Owen Power just happened to make a good defensive play, and it took a lucky bounce back to Dylan Larkin. I mean – the Sabres were lucky, talented, and effective tonight. And when those three things mesh the way that they're supposed to, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. You need the bounces. The bounces are what win you a lot of games. Um, talent wins you a lot of games. And when what you're doing is working, boy, not a lot of people can stop you when it's, when it's that effective. So I think those are the three words to describe the Sabres' performance tonight. Steve. I would have to say exciting, obviously, um, vibing, uh, which is obvious because 14 of the 18 skaters contributed to that score sheet. So everybody was in sync tonight. And finally, yeah, there were a couple minutes where uh, the Red Wings looked like they could have gotten themselves back in this game. But for the most part, they were absolutely dominant exciting vibing dominant and of course the star of the show but i i 
Oh, I'm scared about that $50 million contract, guys. I know, right? Waste the money, guys. <laughs> like, holy oh, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yo. I looked at I looked at the I was looking at the Sabers app to like see if they like updated the stats and they hadn't yet. He had six points in the first eight games. He doubled his numbers tonight. That's insane. That's ridiculous oh in nine games. <laughs> yeah, oh my I, God. I just you know for me like that that contract I was never really scared of that because. The, the thing with Tage Thompson is, um, before I get to my three words, is it's hard to find any, like, I'm not going to call him a unicorn, but just growing up around hockey, like, you cannot teach size. That's, as a goalie, I was, I was, you know, average at best, but the one thing I always lacked was size. And in today's NHL, you don't even get looked at as a goaltender unless you're six foot two. It's a fact. I mean, Johnny Cullen has one of the greatest combine stories ever of how he, of how when they went to go take his height and weight, he showed up there thinking, wearing like six pairs of socks, thinking that uh, he'd have been fine. And then he told him, asked him to take his shoes and socks off. And he pretended like he had to go take a dump so he could take off eight pairs of socks so he wouldn't be embarrassed because he is the same height as me. But uh, you cannot teach size. And all he really had to do with, with Tage Thompson is find a coach that could bring out that talent out of Tage. Like, because the talent was there. We've seen it before last year's 38 goal season. You've seen kind of flashes of it. It was just about bringing it out of him. This six foot seven frame, you cannot teach that. And just showing and developing Tage, pro- Tage properly, which Don Granado has, he has a history of doing that. I urge anybody to go on YouTube and watch it. Like, I did an hour and a half long TED Talk with USA Hockey years ago about development and how important it is to develop at an early age. And Tage didn't really get that, even with St. Louis. You know, because he was a first-round pick, he was just kind of thrown into the fire. But he found the right coach in Don Granato, and, you know, he he finds ways to put players in the best possible situation to succeed according to their talent. He saw a big-bodied, you know, scoring uh, scorer who – his immaculate hands. He said, you know what? This guy needs to be in the middle. He needs to be, you know, quarterbacking a lot of stuff from the middle of the ice. And wow, 38 goals scored. And John Granado was the biggest reason why I was not worried about that contract at all. Is not worried that like John Granado is the reason why I'm not worried about paying Matias Samuelson, you know, because apparently he's not worth $4 million to some people out there. I don't know how, but, um, Don Granado is the X factor in all of this. His just ability to put players in the best possible situations to succeed. We've seen it with Tage. We've seen it with we, we've seen it with Dylan Cousins. We've seen it. You know, a guy who, in my opinion, is going to be top of the list for the Norris Trophy this year. But if he keeps up at this pace, hell, he might be the top of the list for the Hart Trophy this year in Erastus Dahlin. So I am not worried at all about those guys' contracts because Don Granado puts these guys in a great spot to succeed because he recognizes the talent that they have and how to utilize that talent. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I look, when you, when you have a game like you had today, it's easy to just say everything's going well. And obviously like this is not something that's going to happen regularly. This is not something that might happen again this year. If the Sabres score equals again this year, I'd be absolutely blown away. 
But with that said, like the fact that they can do this and sort of put all the pieces together in a way that is tangible, it shows that there are things they can do successfully sort of consistently throughout the year. Obviously, the Sab- the last time the Sabres scored eight goals in a game was the second game of the 50th anniversary season. They beat the Devils 8-2. to two. They were wearing the white and gold jerseys, which still, I think, are like the second best jerseys we've ever worn as Sabres. I, was, I love those white and gold jerseys. Ex- exactly. Those right there. Mm-hmm. I thought those were awesome. The team played awesome that night, and they did not play awesome about six games after that the rest of the year. Um, they, they just they hadn't been able to put it together. However, that was different. That was a game where they started hot, and they just sort of – used their you know beginning of the season energy and and sort of caught lightning in a bottle this sabers team we mentioned it during the game they've been outplaying everybody like past like week and a half and they hadn't won every game they got rewarded against chicago with a good performance a gutsy performance and then now today again that effort sort of culminates in an eight goal game which was I mean, they probably could have scored 11 if there was like three and a half, four minutes left in regulation. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, you know, and I'll let, I'll, I'll kick it over to Steve here in a second, but I, we talked about it uh, right after the game. Like the Sabres have been able to, you know, take over games you know, in these first nine, right? They, they've been able to control the pace of play. They've been able to control possession. One of my biggest things, you know, especially during, during Ralph Kruger's time here is just their, those teams inability to control the neutral zone because, you know, your zone entries were immediately stopped, right? In the neutral zone. You just, you, you could not get through the neutral zone unscathed. This team does. This team controls the neutral zone. You see it in the numbers. Um, in, in it, you know, they control. They have more time of possession in the offensive zone and more time of possession in the neutral zone. Um, that's such a huge, huge thing. And part of that, a big part of that, is just Rasmus Dahlin's final, finally true emergence into the league as a guy who drives possession and drives offensive play. Um, you guy, he's playing 25, 26 minutes a night, and rightfully so. Again, like he is, you know turn into a true leader of this hockey team. And another thing too, and I mentioned to you after the game, Vinny, how often in the past have we seen teams defensively, you know, Sabres teams defensively that would just allow the opponent to come into the zone untouched, just control, you know, not just offensively, the physical side of the game. And just, we were just, we were soft. We were soft in front of our own net. We were soft on the boards. Guys who just never get touched. Tonight, even with your two most physical defensemen on the team out in Labushkin and Samuelson, every single time Detroit tried to bring the puck into our end, they were they were you know they were being met um, uh, met by a Sabres forward or a Sabres defenseman. Either it was along the boards or in front of the net, behind the net. There's no. They didn't have a chance to enter the zone without being touched by a Sabres player. That was one of the biggest things that you mentioned that I really think the average person probably can't put their finger on as to what this team does better than other teams, but it's weird. You mentioned that this team does that a little bit more effectively than previous teams had. Mm-hmm. If you look at the makeup of previous Savers teams, their defensive core should have been able to do that a lot better than they did, and they yeah. never were really able to. Now, as the game has evolved, physicality has sort of 
taken a back burner to speed and finesse and some of the other things that make the game very exciting. But with that said, this Sabres team is doing a nice job of limiting teams and their speed when they get into the defensive zone. Yeah, it's and tonight I said like one of my keys tonight were just matching their speed. That's a young hockey. They made a lot of moves in the offseason, too. Like, um, I think it was a, they brought in David Perron, uh, Olimata, uh, and a couple other big, not big names, but, you know, vet, they have a veteran presence on that hockey team. And um, yeah, we got we got a chance to see in a night rookie uh, Soderblom. Uh, we got the second Soderblom uh, in two back-to-back games, one and nut. Uh, and I, I believe he's actually – this one was actually taller than Tage Thompson, which is hard to believe. Um, and that kid, I, I, I said, I said on the last long up, but listen, he's going to be a, a guy that you got to be watching in front of our net because he just, you know, he's a door. He's literally a door. He's just massive. And you can't, it's not, it's, it's, it's difficult to move those guys around. And when you're missing guys like Samuelson and Labushkin, that guys like that are a problem. He was invisible out there tonight on the physical side of the, at least from like a physical standpoint. Um, and just like, Outside of a few flashy plays from Dylan Larkin, man, like, you know, the Sabres, I, I wasn't worried at all. Even when it was four to three, I just, that was one of the first times in a long time. I think I remember, you know what, you know, I understand we kind of gave up a shorty there, uh, tough bounce off Owen Power Skate, but I wasn't worried because, again, coach, like, uh, we have the better coaching, in my opinion, and in with past coaching, you know, maybe this team wouldn't know how to respond. They responded with four straight goals, four straight goals in the third period after, after allowing to come within one, that's insanity. And like, it's been a long, long, long time since we've had a team that has that ability to respond to adversity like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the star of the show is eight goals in one night, but I mean, a lot, a lot of what you were saying is that, yeah, the breakouts were much cleaner tonight. You know, of course, Darlene was driving the play, but of course, you know, forwards like Alex Tuck and Dylan Cousins were actually making their plays over those blue lines, getting the pucks in deep and then winning the wall battles. And that's just, that was something that we didn't see them doing in the first couple of games. Like, yes, they got, they got to dictate their play and they got, they eventually got it together, but you could see those first periods where they'd be struggling to make that breakout, to make make their way through the neutral zone or just make those clean passes. And uh, they definitely tightened it up in that regard. And also the defensive core, like I know that they've been put through the paces here. I mean, you know, guys like Lawrence Pyle and Kale Clay getting their first uh, looks in the NHL this year, uh, admittedly unexpectedly because just due to injuries uh, right now with, you know, Samuelson, Yoki Haru, and Labushkin out. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously Seattle was probably the – you know, I think that was like the first night where a lot of these kids were coming together for the first time. So obviously things weren't going to click. Last game of a road trip, you can call. And and again, literally no team, no matter how good you are, even if you're a cup contender, you're going to have a shitty night. There's going to be ones that you just, you, you, you have a bad night, you take your lumps, you write it off. And that's the thing that's great about this team is that they don't, you know, ruminate over the loss the night before that, the only thing they know they have control of is the next game. And that's the only thing they're focused on. So, yeah, I'm happy to see, like, defense tightened it up. Yeah, I, I mean, there's one goal that Eric Comrie had no chance of stopping. 
and that was that feed from the back of the like from behind the net directly to Dave Perron. He was like standing right on the doorstep, dead to rights. It's you have to basically be a superhero to stop a stop a shot like that. And the other ones were, you know, bounce off Owen Power skate. Not a lot you could do there. And then I think there was maybe one goal that he would want back where it was a little bit of a defensive breakdown for Bryson. But I mean, compared to what we've seen with some of these first periods that don't get off to the nicest start, it was nice to see everybody was just they knew the game plan, they knew the assignment, and they, you know, with the exception of those quick two goals from uh, Detroit, uh, you know, later in the second, early in the third, there, like that, that was it. You know, mm-hmm. there was that five minutes where they had any sort of semblance of control of the game, and then for the other fifty-five minutes of this night, it was all Sabers. They dictated every aspect of the game, and yeah, it was just top to bottom. You know, and again, I mean, you know. Eric Comrie, I think he only faced like 17 shots, but, you know, he was there when he needed him to be. So, I mean, you know, three goals on 17 shots isn't going to look good just purely numbers-wise, but, you know, he's there when you need him to be. And if he wasn't, you know, if it was like Tukarski or Dell back there, we could have been looking at like a 5-8 game. Could have been a lot closer. Mm -hmm. Could have been a little bit more of a nail-biter instead of a blowout. Yep. So a couple clicks for the guys on the back end. I mean, I know that when you're scoring eight goals in a night, you want to just – talk about the guys lighting the lamp but you know they don't get the opportunity to light the lamp if you know their offensive the other team's offensive plays don't get broken down and then those d-men make those clean passes into the neutral zone so they can do what they do best so a couple clicks for them 100 percent um no go ahead benny i was just sort of wanted to add that like you make a good point and that Comrie's numbers are going to look bad from tonight and be in a young season it's going to you know that'll bump his safe percentage down a lot closer to 900 goals against average bumps up a little bit higher. But like when you have a goalie, he he did what needed to be done today. Mm -hmm. He saved more shots than the other goalie did. And therefore we won the game. That's just sort of how sports work. Right. But with that said, you're looking at maybe a team that is able, they're playing confident. Like you can tell their passing is crisp. They're making some plays. They're making no look behind the back passes and touch passes, nice slick plays. And some of that stems from A, good coaching. And B, when you're playing in front of a goalie that you can trust to bail you out in certain situations, it gives you more confidence to take some chances and then you can capitalize on offense. I've always been a guy that said, I'd rather win a game 5-4 than 2-1. Now, I'd rather just win a game. And sometimes you need your goalie to make some stops to win a game. You're going to need Comrie to make, you know, you're going to need him to make 35 saves sometimes. You're going to need him to make 30 saves sometimes. You know, letting three in on 20 shots, not ideal. You Night in and night out, that's not going to get the job done. But one night, that will get the job done, and it did. And I think that shows why things are clicking right now is they, they just trust him back there, and he did what needed to be done today. Yeah, uh, just to add that, add to that point, uh, having confidence in your goalie. Um, I've said this so many times, you know, we were so spoiled at that position. Uh, you went from Grant Fuhr to Dominic Hasek to Ryan Miller, and your bridge between Hasek and Miller was Marty Baran. Um, just so, so spoiled at the position. But all those guys from those Sabres teams will tell you, whether it was like Michael Pekka, Matt Barnaby, you know, Razors said it in the past, um, you know, Miro Shatan, like all those guys, you didn't have these these players that, you know, 
you would find on the score sheet every single night because chances are back then you were playing low scoring hockey games, uh, you know, three, two, two, one, one, nothing, two, nothing. But you would be, you know, you had these average to uh, below average hockey players that would go out there and take those chances because you had the best goalie in the world, you know, behind you to bail you out if you needed him to. I mean, let's face facts here. The best defenseman Dominic Hasek ever had in his, in his tenure with Buffalo, like, you know, a guy who played more than, you know, one or two years in front of him was probably Alexei Zitnik, you know, um, and I mean, outside of Pat LaFontaine, he didn't have a single Hall of Famer in front of him for the, the majority of his career in Buffalo. Um, I, I, uh, and then you go to Ryan Miller, and let's look at the teams Miller had. Look at, look at the offensive output he got from those players. You know, they knew that they had a guy like Ryan Miller, who at one point in his career was the best goalie in the world, that would bail you out if you needed him to. So there's just, you know, that, that point, Vinny, is so key because in the past – three, four, five seasons. We haven't had that guy. We just haven't, you know, you had to, you, you, you had to play a little bit more defensively minded hockey, or you couldn't really take chances or try and showcase your own offensive skills because you're afraid if you do screw up that it's going to end up in the back of your own net because you have, you know, Michael Hauser back there, or, you know, Rob, you know, Robin Leonard was probably the best goalie we've had in the last five seasons. And even then, like he struggled with, with Buffalo, obviously, you know, outside of the fact that the team was very underdeveloped, but he had his own personal struggles. And then Carter Hutton, I mean, the list goes on and on the goal, the goalie car, uh, carousel that Buffalo has had since Miller was traded to St. Louis at the trade deadline. Um, and to have a guy, two guys at that, that you can depend on and know that if you need them to make, if, if, you know, if you need them to make a save or if you need him to make a save for you, uh, that he will. And it's been a long time since we've had that. It's gotta be, you know, and it's an early, it's early in the season. I mean, there were Carter Hutton was really good during the 10 game win streak. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, he was one of the largest reasons that that happened. Um, and we can get into them winning most of the games in overtime or shootouts or whatever, mm-hmm. but that's semantics really. But the point is that the goaltending might doesn't need to be fantastic every night, but it just needs to be good enough that te- the team can trust it, right? Yep. Now, this is a conversation I will probably want to revisit again in December and then again in February and then again in April to see what we actually are looking at. Because, I mean, again, we've seen it like there were times that Takarski had a good game or a couple good games in a row. And mm-hmm. Michael Hauser had a couple good games in a row, you know, and, and like I said, and Carter Hutton's the biggest example of a goalie that came here, played kind of well. Even Chad Johnson a couple years back was, I remember Chad. Oh, like, Chad. He Ew. was the unsung hero of the team for a reason. And it seemed like we played better in front of him than we did Robin Leonard. Now, with all that said, they still weren't good enough to get us anywhere. They were, mm-hmm. there were games they would bail us out. There were games they'd, let in four goals on 22 shots and we would lose four to one. Now, another problem was, you know, Jack Eichel would score the only goal and there was no depth scoring. There were a lot of problems with those teams, but the team now one group can sort of make up for another group's mistakes. There are three. I mean, there's a lot of phases in hockey. You can talk about special teams, but there's offense, defense, and goaltending. The big three big groups that you can add coaching that you can add special teams. You can add all that. But with that set of those three main phases of guys that are on the ice, if the offense isn't scoring, that's when you need your defense and your goaltending to play well. 
as of right now, that's what has happened mm-hmm. is if your goaltending's playing, eh, your offense makes up for it. If your defense is playing, eh, your goalie can make up for it. Right now, two of the phases are playing well when one might not be. And that, that is why this team is successful. However, you know, the goaltending, it, it is early, you know, I don't want to jump on the Eric Comrie train, you know, yet, uh, but it, he has done what has needed to be done so far. And I've been, I've been pretty pleased with what we've seen between the pipes for the Sabres so far this season. Steve, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a little bit soon, but uh, just given the landscape of the free agent goalies that were out there, I mean, obviously we could, you know, dump on the Leafs all we want. You know, Matt Murray injured two or three games in, and now they're relying on Sam Sonoff and a pretty green tendy to try to save their season and things are not going well in Leaf Nation. Um, but, I mean, even not guys like that. I mean, just like, you know, guys like Cam Talbot or, you know, Forsberg. Like, you know, just names, Staylock even. You know, there were just these names where it's like, yeah, you know they were able to do it at one point, but they're closer to the end of their career than the start. And, it, you know, I've said this a couple of times, and I'll just keep saying it, that I think that, like, the theme of this team – is betting on untapped potential rather than hoping a guy that that you've seen struggle can bounce back because that's what Eric Comrie is. He's a dude who's been living in the shadow of one of the best goaltenders in the league who hasn't had his proper due because to be fair, if you've got Connor Alibuck, fucking play Connor Alibuck. Don't be an idiot. Uh, So no, no knock to Winnipeg in that regard. But now that he's got a crease that he can like lay claim to, I think that, yeah, there's definitely going to be some bad nights, but there's I think there's going to be a lot of nights where he surprises people, where uh, mm-hmm. he makes some of those saves that can steal the game for you, that like just reinvigorate the whole team. And it's like, well, damn, he just stood on his head for that one. We can't lose this now. And then, uh, you know, maybe that's when uh, – maybe Owen Power finally just goes coast to coast and just goes, oh, yeah, let me just do this thing I did about 50 times in Michigan. Whatever. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I you know you, you look at Sabres Twitter too, you bring up Owen Power's name. Um, you know, you're starting to hear people say bust, which I think is, you know, it's that's insanity to me. Uh, but, you know, it's like, it, I don't it's, know how to respond to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he's almost, you know, if the guy isn't scoring goals yet, he's going to start getting, it's, he's, he's going to start getting shit on it and just like, in these people, like, have you not learned anything? What we just went through with Rasmus Dahlin, I, I, I hope I can find the tweets from a couple of years ago where I got into it with an analytical guy about Rasmus Dahlin, and he said that you know he's not going to develop into what you think he's going to be. You know, he's not. You know, you know he's drafted first overall, and I pointed to Victor Hedman. I think a lot of people point to Victor Hedman. You know. Very similar in style when they first came into the league, even though Hedman, you know, was a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a bruising defense, but more of a physical defense, but not saying that Rasmus Dahlin isn't. But their trajectory has been the same, if not Dahlin being better. Dahlin took, I think, one season to outscore what Hedman's highest season in his first five years into the league. I'm pretty sure it was his rookie year. I want to say his rookie or his second year. Um, the talent has always been there. It's just finding the coach 
to put him in the best possible situation to succeed. You're going to get that with Owen Power. It's going to come. It's not going to happen overnight. Listen, you know, it's not even like he's been playing bad. You know, like, I I just, if he's not putting points up on the score sheet, he's a bust. It just, it blows my mind. First off, him and Darlene are not the same defenseman. Darlene's more of a flashy, you know, coast-to-coast type of guy. Not saying that Owen can't do that, but he's also, Owen, Owen, you know, especially in his last year at Michigan, was a little bit more known to also take care of business in his own end, which is what you're going to get from him this season. You're not going to get a guy who's going to, not that he doesn't have the confidence to. I've seen Owen Power, you know, especially in given opportunities on the power play or um, the guy goes to the net. You know, he's not afraid to do that. Um, find me any 19-year-old, 18-year-old defenseman who, you know, drives to the net, you know, during a, scr- during a scrum from the point or drives to the net just, you know, to, to put himself in a position to score. Not a lot of kids that age do that. As, as defenseman, and he does. He does it on a consistent basis. Trust me, the points will come. The goals will come. But to sit here and kind of give him – I've seen it, not from a ton of people yet, but I've started to see it. You know, I mean, that, stop it right now. Just stop. Yeah. Full stop. I'll turn it over to Vinny here, but uh, just quick bullet points to piggyback off that. One, again, he is 19 years old. He has not even played – two dozen games in a league of the best adult athletes of this sport in the world. And two, also incredibly important to remember, half of his decor is currently injured. I think right now, rather than go score a bunch of goals, his priority is playing defensive defense so the other team doesn't score, which I think we can all argue is pretty important. When Matias Danielson, your stay-at-home guy who just got an extension for the next seven years to be the stay-at-home guy, has to stay home because he's injured, someone's got to step up. And Owen Power, not to say Darlene isn't doing that, but Owen Power is proving that he can step up. Yeah, he's had a couple unlucky bounces off the skates. It's going to happen to every – it happened to Olimata tonight. You know, it's going to happen to every single defenseman if you're standing in the crease – trying to bully some guy off the puck. That's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be tying someone up. Sometimes the puck's going to bounce off your skate. But again, right now, I think that he's playing it exactly right. And, like, you've had a conversation with the man. He's an incredibly mature, poised kid. I think he knows his role right now. The role right now, keep the damn puck out of the net. Whatever you got to do. You'll have plenty of time to score goals when the rest of this decor is back and somebody else has got your back, and you're not like – he's like carrying Kale Clegg right now or like Jacob Bryson right now or Lawrence Pilot right now. Like he doesn't have time to go be wheeling and dealing. He's got to go at that line. It's like everyone to calm down. Yeah, if Kale Clegg's out there with you, I don't I don't need you jumping into the rush nope. uh, doing there. Um, and I will say, yeah, Owen Power, if you're listening, and we know that you are. Yep, friend of the pro- he is a friend of the program. Uh, but with that said – I'm going to actually take a second, go back to our Darlene point from a couple moments ago. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment and defend our analytics friend that said Darlene is not, was not going to develop into what we think he was going to develop into. He probably wouldn't have if the coaching staff hadn't changed the way that it did. Oh, If we I, had stayed on the same track of oh, coaching for sure. styles that we were with, 
Rasmus Stalin would not be first overall pick material. Not well, I shouldn't say that. He was always first overall pick material. He wouldn't have developed into worth it first overall pick. Yep. He would yep. not have. But because we got the coaching staff that we did, he that did happen. So mm-hmm. at the time, I think the track wasn't really on the right track. Somebody pulled the switch. We got Kevin Adams, we got Donnie Meatballs, and now he's on the right track and he's headed straight to Norris Candidateville on the on the locomotive. And we're all we're all riding in the in the cars right behind it, just enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I uh, <laughs> sorry, I just read Paramat's comment there yeah, about yeah. the about he who must not be named. Yeah, Ralph, like Ralph Grew. And here's the thing, and this this can even go to the point with with Jack Eichel, you know, and how he exited the organization. It's hard to find and sustain success when you have that kind of turnover at possibly the most important position in your organization two most important uh, uh, positions in your organization in head coach and GM. Like how many head coaches did Jack Eichel have while he was here? Five. Like he had four GMs, I believe. Like, tell me how you're supposed to have that type of like, you know, you know, any type of success or sustained success, sustained success. Try saying that five times fast. Um, when you're jumping from coaching scheme to coaching team scheme to coaching scheme, and the same thing with Darlene. And you you went from a guy like Phil Housley who really, you know, wants to nurture your ability to be a puck carry defenseman just like he was in his career. Um, and then you go from that guy to Ralph Kruger who just absolutely neutered him in terms of what, uh, you know, what his best attributes were. And then you sit there for a year and a half under him and just same thing with Jeff Skinner. You know, being on the third and fourth line almost his entire tenure, uh, you go from with the, from that guy to a guy like Don Granado, who you know is all about development and putting players in the best possible situations to succeed. I'll say it a hundred thousand times, and you know I've already said it a hundred thousand times. I'll say it a hundred thousand times more. That's what he does. That's that's why he's been able to be successful with the USNTDP. Uh, in USA Hockey as as an assistant coach and now as a head coach here with the Buffalo Sabres, uh, from college hockey to the pros. Um, the guy is just, you know, a magician when it comes to development. And he's shown us with Darlene. He's shown us with Tage Thompson. And he's going to show us with Owen Power. So to that point, Vinny, um, I, I blame not just Ralph Kruger on that, but I also just blame just the organization as a whole is just not finding the right coach soon enough to really put him on an earlier trajectory trajectory to be to be the guy almost immediately. It took a little while. Uh, with that being said, we now do have the guy behind the bench to the best man for that job in Don Granado. I'm, I'm I'm glad we're in a position that we are. You know, it seems like things are starting to work out. The Sabres are, they started hot for like the fourth year in a row. That's fine. They might cool off. That's fine. Just we're seeing things that we hadn't really seen in the past. Like the Sabres were hot in the past and it was like, okay, this is cool. But six of these 10 games are all won in overtime or a shootout. We've getting scoring from our top line, our top line only. We need to get depth scoring. Okay, our goalie made 35 out of 36 saves. It's not going to be sustainable. It's Carter Hutton. Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing, like I mentioned earlier, all these phases sort of working together. 
So, yeah, I think Owen Power, like you mentioned, Steve, he has not played a lot of games. He's not played with a lot of really high-caliber defensemen. He's a player that probably should be playing with a experienced, trustworthy veteran who will stay back when Owen Power skates the puck. We don't really have that on defense right now. There's two, you know, again, he's playing with who? Who was his D partner tonight? I think it was Lawrence Pilot. I know who Lawrence Pilot is. But like with that said, you're looking at our, our seven defensemen and you know the name of maybe five of them and only because Casey Fitzgerald has played for the Sabres for the past three years. Mm-hmm. If you're a Detroit Red Wings fan and you look at our defensemen, you know who Rasmus Dahlin is. You know who Owen Power is. Maybe you've heard of Jacob Bryson before and it's possible you saw Lawrence Pilot's name on NHL Network when he came back to the Sabres. Other than that, you probably have no idea who our other three defensemen were. And that will certainly play into Owen Power being better uh, in, in the future. Maybe not the near future, but in, in the future as we go down the road. Uh, Paramount Pictures, uh, friend of the program. I hate to be that guy, but what if Jack and Dalian had, had a guy like Donnie or Ted Nolan, a guy who can work with young players to develop them? Um, I mean, Dalian has him now, but... I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to have that guy for Jack uh, early on. Um, personally, and I, I stand by this because I've, I've spoken to people, you know, privy to the situation. I don't even think that, you know, Jack would have ended up kind of being labeled the cancer he was had it not been for a guy like Evander Kane being on this team. I've heard a lot of terrible stories about that guy in terms of leadership and his presence in the, in the and his his contribution to the negative culture and what he introduced a lot of the young players to. So, uh, but with that being said, yeah, I think, I think having a coach like Don Granato would have helped a ton. Um, with that being said, I am not looking in that and they're in my rear view now. Um, you know, good luck in Vegas, bro. You know, and everything you do, he's already start. He's off to a great start, you know, yeah. good luck. You know, a nice OT winner the other night. Yeah, that was was, gorgeous. Wasn't it? That's, but that's, patented Jack Eichel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He serves, just, you know, I'm, he I'm just going to go walk the dog, take a few laps, and when I find a lane, just, yeah, sure. Literally, he had possession of that puck for almost like 30 seconds, and that that's what Jack Eichel was dra- – that's why he was drafted second overall, and that's why I really do think in Vegas, you know, regardless of how we feel about the guy, he's going to have probably like a 90-plus point season this year. Um, I, I, I really do believe that, and, you know – Good luck to him, man. Whatever. Again, you're not on my team anymore. You know, you know, post-game comments aside, see you later, man. Good luck. Whatever. You know, it is fun to, you know, mean tweet Jack Eichel every now and then. You know, I'm pretty guilty of it. But at the end of the day, he's not on my hockey team anymore. And I'm really, really, really happy with Alex Tuck and, uh, you know, Peyton Krebs. So, with that being said, you know, be, you know, before we wrap things up here, any bold predictions for the rest of the season? I'll start it off. Um, and I, I do believe, obviously, this is early, but this is a very bold prediction, and I don't think I'm really out of line to think this right now. Tage Thompson, 50-plus goals, and Darlene in the MVP conversation? I, def- I, I definitely think Tage cracks 40, without a doubt. It's We're, we're in a tough division. I mean, goalies are just really good. We're in a tough division. So 
Yeah, we got we, we had a nice night where we peppered Nodelkovich real hard, but you know, there're going to be plenty of teams to tighten it up. We have yet to meet Boston this year and Boston's just a fucking wagon right now. And everybody thought Boston was going to be off to the rocky start that like Toronto's off to because of all those injuries and turns out what they keep saying on every podcast is true. The Boston Bruins are not dead until they die. And they have yet to die, and I'm still not totally sure they can die, which is quite fitting for Halloween. But that's – I I definitely think you can do 40. 50, 50 might just be out of reach this year, but next year when he knows that every goal he scores is at the price point of $7 million, I think that will be that little extra bit of pep in his step to get to 50 plus this year. I'm going to, I'm going to say he caps out at, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say he definitely does, but I'm going to say like 46. So on the higher end of 40, but I think he's just going to fall short of the 50 mark. That that's just me though. He's definitely on that trajectory, but I don't think that he, I, I just think the league is – I just think that our, like, division and our conference is still just too, too fucking hard-nosed to be able – because, I mean, those are, like, our most common competitors right now. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if we're going to be able to – if he's going to be able to eke out multi-goal nights against those kinds of teams night in and night out. I mean, yeah. I, I You know, I guess we could have a conversation about special teams. It's like – I mean – it was nice to see his power play clapper finally beat somebody at even strength tonight. But whatever they're trying to do with the power play just hasn't quite been working this year. It's kind of like the same setup every time. And they try to feed him. They'll try to feed him three times in a row. And after the second or third try, the goalie knows it's going to Tage. So even if he rips it at 100 miles an hour, like the goalie's ready for it. So I think they need to do something to get a little bit more inventive. And I think. And it does bring me back to that goal where uh, Middlestat was dogging it and took Quinn's goal away, where they actually did get a little bit inventive and try a different way to score. And for Jack Quinn, it worked, but then they called the goal back. So if they don't do something to kind of shake up special teams, I think that that would be a pretty con- pretty considerable factor keeping Tage from 50 this year. So I don't know. Maybe they could – maybe they uh, – add a special teams coach to the mix to accompany the staff that's already there. Uh, I don't know, but something's got to give because with the amount of offensive talent this team has, the special, when we have an extra man at our advantage, we should be infinitely more effective than we are. I, I don't think that that's a bold thing to say. I think, you know, I test people and the analytics nerds will meet, shake hands on that one and agree this power play leaves something to be desired. And that's where Tage could be making his bread and butter. Not that he can't score even strength goals, but if you want to get an extra 10 just handed to you, that's the perfect place to do it. Yeah. Special teams is going to be that sort of seesaw on us being a good hockey team and us being a, eh, there's okay. They're still growing hockey team. If we can get our special teams to be dialed in, we might actually be in the conversation uh, to make the postseason come the springtime. With that said, uh, I, I like to think of myself as an optimistic person. 
I come from a pretty pessimistic family. Um, so I don't want to get too down on things, but I think we've had too many years, at least in my lifetime of the Sabres starting a little bit hot and cooling off for me to want to say right now, like Sabres are going to get 96 points or, you know, Comrie's going to, you know, be in the conversation, which that's not really a, he's played reliable not nothing really in the conversation for any sort of uh, recognition at the end of the year. But with that said, um, I, I think my bold prediction revolves sort of around the positioning of our depth offensive unit right now. Um, I, I think that we might actually have a couple of players on our third and maybe, you know, maybe not fourth line, I think we might have a player on our third line score 20 goals. Um, I think that is going to be, that's something we haven't really had the past couple of years. Cause we haven't really had a top head, like a, a, you know, 40 plus goal scorer and then a 30 and then a 25, 25, 20. We've had like one guy do this. And then a couple people do this down here. You might have a more filled out offensive unit. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully happening with that said, 12 days from now, Bruins Sabres 7 p.m. Key Bank mm-hmm. Center, November 12th. That's that's a real benchmark game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real benchmark game for sure. You know, Linus Olmark. As much as I dislike the way that relationship ended with Buffalo, um, I've said it on this program plenty of times that I, you know, going into the deadline, if he wasn't willing to sign the week of the deadline, that you should have traded him. Um, and sure enough, you know, he went into free agency with zero intentions of coming back to Buffalo and went and signed with the Boston Bruins. Um, I, I'm actually happy that Kevin Adams wasn't willing to pay him what he wanted because I don't agree with paying goalies that much money. I'm just not, never have been. Um, I think, you know, guys who there's only one guy in my opinion, that's worth, you know, eight plus million dollars a season. And that's uh, Vasilevsky. He's the only one. You know, and he's got a phenomenal Hall of Fame hockey team in front of him. Carey Price, as great as he is, his, you know, his salary cap hit dramatically affects that team and their ability to be, you know, win, win consistently. Uh, But, uh, you know, that is going to be a game where, you know, like I said, a big benchmark game for the Buffalo Sabres, Uh, you know, in terms of another, another bold prediction. Uh, will they be buyers at the deadline? Again, bold predictions looking ahead. They, they, keep, they keep this kind of stuff up. Could we look at a team that for the first time in seven, eight, nine years is a buyer at the deadline? Hmm. Well, conceivably, if they are still in the hunt and they're chomping at the bit to get to that wild card spot, I mean, it kind of goes directly counterintuitive to like Kevin Adams' philosophy that he's not much about free agents and, you know, quick fix acquisitions. He's more about the long, the long play, the long con. He wants to grow it. He wants, he wants to develop it. And I don't know. I guess it would just, I think one, we'd have to be at that point where that could be a conversation realistically worth having, but two, there would need to be a deficiency great enough that necessitates that we need to be a buyer because if we're honestly, if we're going to look at this from just 
not so much a pessimistic, but more of just like a realist perspective. For the Sabres to be a 500 team this year would be a vast improvement over what we've seen in years past. That's what we were aiming towards. That's what we were building on at the end of last year after the Vegas game and throughout the end of the season. We were we were a 500 team, and we hadn't been in a very long time. So if that's all we accomplished this year, that's obviously that's not the playoffs. But for this club and for the direction that we want to be heading in, that's fantastic. But if we're in the if we're hunting for a wild card spot, to me that communicates that many, many, many things are working. And I guess the question is, what do you part with to get the insurance that whatever's working very well potentially cannot fail? And that's that's the rub for me that even if we're in the hunt, I'm not quite sure if we buy. But I'm also, I, obviously we don't sell, but I also don't think we buy some a big ticket item. Like, we're, you know, don't put in for Patrick Kane salary retained or anything like that, you know? But like, yeah, I mean that, I again, I just think that like, that's not Kevin Adams game to, to, be, a, to be a big ticket buyer. I think he just wants to, I think he wants to grow it on his own, and I think he wants the kids who are here now to be the ones that are hoisting the trophy over their head maybe like five years from now after they've, you know, struggled, you know, scratched their way to the top of the – scratched their way into the playoffs, you know, maybe a swift first-round exit here or there. And then they – you know, the same way Colorado just did. You know, it took a long time for them to finally be that Stanley Cup caliber team. And I think that, you know, that philosophy is right, that you get a winner when you grow it at home rather than buy it, which I guess you could make the argument that's what tonight proved. Ottawa and Detroit were big buyers. We kind of smoked them both in our first meetings. Mm-hmm. 4-1 against Ottawa, 8-3 tonight. We're growing it. So, yeah, uh, t- to that end, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we buy, but I don't think it's for a bad reason. Yeah, again, these are very, very bold predictions too. I mean, we're nine games into the season, but it's it's just fun. I was thinking about the game. It's like, man, this game, it, this team might be a wagon, and like, it's fun to have those thoughts, right? Yeah, it's definitely fun. It's it's really nice. It's it's a nice change from the norm. Uh, I'm ask me again, December. I have no interest in answering this question right now. To be completely honest <laughs> with you. I really don't look the, the team's needs right now, depth defense, right? If the team's makeup right now stays the way that it is, I don't think we're in the hunt even for the playoffs because the lack of defense on the team puts you in a vulnerable position mm-hmm. to lose games, you know, six to five or six to four, or five to three. So then you're not, you're not going to win enough games to be in the hunt. And then it's no, there's no reason to buy because you're going to be too far out of it. Yeah. So you're in a bit of a catch 22 situation. In December, let's say we've got some of our defensemen back. Some of our issues are still on the back end, but we're closer. The injuries are not really the problem anymore. I don't know. Maybe then. But right now, again, it's not worth trading for a a true no. number one goaltender or anything. I mean, you've got a you've got a tender playing at Northeastern right now that you I'm don't want to bring anybody about... in that might convince him to not come here. You know? Yeah, I'm not even thinking about that position to yeah. be 100 percent honest so, with you. So like let's so there's a couple things that could happen, right? 
Um, let's say we lose some depth scoring. Yeah, it's easier to trade for a forward because you have more forwards on your team than any other position. So like that just you're not upsetting the balance quite as much there. But with that all said, I think you've got guys in Rochester that you might want to give a shot to Quinn Paterka. You need to keep them in the lineup. I like Henestroza. I like seeing him in the lineup. Just like but with that said, you know, you want to give some of these young guys a chance. You, the injuries might force you to make that decision. But if injuries are your problem, trading for somebody, buying somebody is not going to solve the problem because you're probably at a loss of those points because of those injuries. Um, so I, I, your problem right now is not really that. I mean, it is depth to a certain extent, but but a quick fix is not going to do it. I don't I don't think the Sabres are buyers at the deadline. I think the Sabres are similar. Like right now, it's the NFL trade deadline this Tuesday. I don't think Brandon Bean really does anything because his blueprint has proven successful so far, yep. and you're upsetting the chemistry in the locker room. The Sabres are not the Bills. The NFL is not the NHL. With that said, it's di- it's, it's, difficult. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult to difficult. make, though. It's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult so. to make the same types of deals between, the, like, you know, like that's like, that's pretty, like comparing tomatoes to oranges, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, in the NHL, you can retain salary. That's not the case. The NFL, like you're, you're taking that player's entire salary. Um, right. You know, I think I agree. I don't think Bean does anything dramatic. If, you know, people kind of look at, we've heard conversation, you know, rumors too, that they've reached out to the saints about like Kamara and whatnot. I think the one move that does happen is the one that I think we've all expected for a while now uh via von miller is they i think obj does end up being a buffalo bill yeah um a maybe they bring is different yeah than a trade yeah because then you're I, not giving yeah. up draft capital is very very important to brandon bean and i think kevin yeah. adams too which I that's another comparison i hate well, making draft picks in the nfl are completely different than draft picks in the nhl most draft picks in the nhl even first rounders kind of a crapshoot yeah to be honest look at tyson kozak late round pick what was he a six round pick Six mm-hmm. seven round pick, and, and, and yeah, and, and you know, want to know what man? It you know, I I look at Kozak, and that's a direct result of just the landscape we've been in over the last two years. The you know the how you've had kind of had to bob and weave when it comes to scouting and kind of adjust to video scouting and not being able to see these guys all the time up close or even talk to them, interview them. Um, I think a guy like Tyson Kozak is a perfect example of that. And that's why you don't always just throw around even mid to late round picks, just all willy nilly because kid like that is a perfect example. He could end up being an NHL, uh, a contributor in the NHL, even as a third or fourth line guy. And he's, he's having himself not, again, not, not the expected start in Rochester that we hope for, but you know, he's playing very well. You're Kulik has been as advertised the guy already has an nhl release i mean i watched him development camp up close and he has an absolute cannon and um i would expect both him and matthew savoy to be in the same situation that maybe jj paterica and jack quinn were in this season you know vying for for roster positions and then i look at this roster um and you know something's got to give I don't think it's a guarantee that Kyle Ocposo is done after this season. I really don't. I could totally see Kevin Adams bringing him on. If Kevin wants to sign or Kyle wants to sign another one or two year deal, I can absolutely see Kevin signing him to a short term deal. 
Um, I could absolutely, you know, I could absolutely see them bringing back Vinny Henestrosa again. The guy has shown value in your bottom six. You know, he's a contributor and he's good for the locker room. He's a culture guy. Um, Gergensen's a different story. We'll see. I love Gergensen's, but somebody, you know, if both of those guys, or even at least one of those two guys is ready to play next year, you know, who is the odd man out? Me personally, I don't care what anyone says. Everyone knows this answer for me. Unless he really gets his act together and starts, you know, and my, my biggest issue with him has always been off the ice, not coming to, you know, I remember when Darlene, I think he was going into his second season, you know, the guy put on 20 or I think it was 18 pounds of muscle in the off season. Casey's never done that. Casey's never put that work in away from the ice. Um, I think that's been his like biggest Achilles heel because the talent is there. The hands are there. Um, I just don't think he has the same type of do or die drive as maybe other players in this team do. And, you know, the, he's just, you know, he has flashes, but he's inconsistent. And that's just me. I think a guy like him or Gergesons can be the odd man outcome next year. And, but again, these are fun conversations to have because, you know, knowing that guys like your, your jobs aren't safe because you have players in your pipeline, you know, you have this you know, these riches in the, in the minors in Europe, in, in junior hockey guys who are going to be nipping at the, at the opportunity or nipping at the butt or whatever the saying is chopping at the bit. bit, Yes. Chopping at the bit to, to get an opportunity. Like competition is the greatest motivator. And, you know, a guy like him could be the odd man out. Yeah. Could be Olofsson, honestly. Uh, I mean, he definitely had a much better five-on-five game today, but we've definitely seen some defensive breakdowns from him as well, some sloppy passes here and there. And, you know, you could make the argument that he might be a one-trick pony, and if you have a Yuri Kulik who can do the same trick just as well, if not better, um, and doesn't cost you nearly $5 million, then if you're a seller at the deadline again, maybe that's an asset you look to sell. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately there will be a log jam at forward. Um, and I mean, there already is a log jam at forward. Like we don't have enough space to give literally every young guy, every good player a look because I mean, you know, Vinny sitting on the Vinny Henestrosa sitting on the bench right now, but like all the other young guys are back in rotation. We just had to send Shane down so we could call up Jeremy Davies for a little more defensive depth. He might honestly prove to be a little bit more valuable than Kale Clegg, so maybe Clegg gets sent back down. I can't really say for certain, but yeah, um, ultimately something we'll have to give as Savoy gets closer to development, Kulik gets closer to development, Isaac Rosine gets closer to development, Noah Osland is just going to continue to dominate over there, uh, Josh Blue is even doing great things with the Saginaw Spirit, and then there's the three Russians who you know, three years away from now, but like, yo, Victor Nuchev, that kid is filthy. He has more points than any other kid in the KHL under the age of 20 just at all right now, which, you know, in one of the hardest leagues to play in in the world, that's not nothing to be the point leader of young studs in a league of some of the hardest motherfuckers that ever play the game. That's... So no one's job is safe, and I honestly kind of like that. I love it. 
Vinny, what, what are your I don't thoughts? Know. That, oh, yeah, that's to a you good point. I'm, get, I'm getting excited. I, you know, it's I, the game was fun today. It was a fun environment. Uh, and, and it is, I have to remind myself, like I've said a couple of times, I want to revisit some of these conversations on November 31st, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again on December 31st. When we play the Bruins again, by the way. Um, we play the Bruins Saturday, November 12th, and the next time after that. December 31st. December 31st. New Year's Eve. Yeah. One so, I will absolutely be at a wedding, pucks, so I will not be on that episode. Pucks, pucks and tucks. Or tucks yes. and pucks. I remember when they used to um, do that. That was fun. Yeah, you know, bring it back this year. I'll wear a tuxedo. I don't care. I'll wear my goalie equipment again. I don't give a shit. I mean, shit. it's in it's in Boston, so if you want to drive to Boston and go to TD Garden and tuxedo, you're more than welcome. I'm sure they'd love to have you. <laughs> yeah. Well, my new the company I work for now, we do have a suite there. So, Ooh, uh, all right. Yeah, blazer. Yeah. Let's get it's it. a good look. Yeah. Right. This yeah. I, I'll be honest. I'm so comfortable right now. I like this is unbelievable. <laughs> you get why RJ's been doing it for 50 years. It's yeah. Just- what. Well, I remember his conversation, his story about the suspenders, about why he switched suspenders from a belt. But the turtleneck is like I'm not really a guy. Like my girlfriend told me, like, yo, I'm, I'm not like, don't bite, get a turtle. Like you're not a person that's gonna look good in a turtleneck. But I'm comfortable. Like I feel great right now. And this is my I grandfather's mean- old blazer. I just really bought into the RJ thing. My hair's silver. Like I, if I look like this when I'm like 58 years old. I'm gonna feel really good about myself. So hopefully, fingers crossed. But this is this is a good look. I, I might uh, have to do this yeah. more often if I'm calling games. Yeah, I think you might want to take your girl for LASIK because you're looking pretty fresh, my guy. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad look. <laughs> I think oh, she might have a wrong God. opinion on that subject. That's that's a fresh look, my dude. That's fantastic. Yeah, look good, feel gonna, good, as they say. You know, you know, Vinny. As you can see, we we can see how Vinny looked tonight again. Him and him and Maniac dressed as RJ. I'm gonna real quick uh, before we get into November November predictions and end the night on a hopefully a high note. I'm gonna show a few uh, share my screen here, and uh, hopefully um, here we go. Let's see here. Um, the pictures from this evening dressed as the Dominator here. <laughs> there it is. And I had a blast, guys. I really, really, really did. Um, it was uh, such an eventful night. Um, I've been to a lot of Halloween games in the past. One of my most fond memories, absolutely, is uh, a Halloween game where we played the Leafs and won. Um, this was during the drought years still. I think I think it was yeah, during the drought years, yes, uh, post-Briere injury. But uh, had an absolute, absolute blast tonight. And, um, you know, dressing as Dominic Hasek, sweating my ass off the entire game. Um, still haven't showered, obviously. Just hopped right on here with you guys. I cannot wait to get in the shower. So, um, November predictions, 6-3 um, and three in October. November, they start off with the Penguins, the Hurricanes, the Lightning, the Coyotes, the Golden Knights, the Bruins, as we discussed on November 12th, the Canucks, the Senators, the Maple Leafs, the Habs, the Blues, the Devils, the Lightning again, and November 30th against the Red Wings. How funny is that? We end both we end both 
end both the first two months with games against the Red Wings. Um, that right there is 14 games, 14 games. Yes. Mm -hmm. 14 games, uh, played in the month of November. So with that being said, that's a heavy schedule. That's almost a game every other night. Um, where, where, where would you slot the Sabres in? You know, you know, if you were just to you know, put a number on a record on it, we again, started the season off six and three, not many people put them at six and three to, to start the first nine, but Penguins, a very, very winnable game. I still think the Hurricanes are a winnable game. Tampa, that's going to be a tough one, man. Uh, twice in one month, hundred percent. I'd be happy to split there. Coyotes, very winnable game. Golden Knights, very, very winnable game, especially with the goaltending they've been getting. Bruins, I mean, I'd love to say a win, but, you know, I'm not going to even try to predict that game. The Canucks, that should be a win. The Senators, as competitive as a hockey team they're going to be for the whole season, I expect that to be a win. And then I will accept nothing less than a victory against the Toronto Maple Leafs come November 19th, a game uh, that I believe is that I would that is an away game, I believe. Yep, that's away. So, um, and then you go right into the Canadians and the Blues, Devils, Tampa again, and then again we end the end, end the uh, end the end the month again with the Red Wings. So, I mean, I I honestly probably have them coming out of November with a 500 record. Yeah, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. We've had a couple of good November months, but. Uh, I don't know that we're really going to keep up the pace that we've been on right now. I'll give us a little bit better than 500. I, I, I'm going to remain slightly optimistic. Let's say we're eight and six at the end of the month. Uh, eight and six would be, I would be very happy with that. If we leave November eight and six, I saw Matt said also earlier that uh, we can't have a conversation on November 31st because there is no November 31st. I'm glad he got my joke about me <laughs> wanting to put off the conversation till even farther into the season. But with all that said, look, uh, I think the Sabres will cool off a little bit, but maintain so that early season spice um, and, and uh, just play some good hockey. Maybe not some great hockey, but some good hockey and, and get there. Uh, at the end of November, I'm going to go eight and six with the record. I'm going to predict though. It takes me three full games in November to get this hair dye out of my hair though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we can keep you on for a consistent contributor for I'll hang up and listen, bud, because you always have great insight. I always appreciate when you hop on with us. I appreciate being here. Uh, I, I can't say that I'm going to have gray hair for all of the games, but it might be a couple of them, whether I like it or not. We'll see right. how, how well this shampoo is out, but I, I do enjoy being on and I enjoy the, the fun conversation. I mean, what, what is more fun besides playing sports than talking about sports? Yeah. And, and this, this is always a blast. I, I appreciate uh, you bringing me on and, and I will do it as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Steve, any final thoughts? Um, I guess my, uh, I guess my November prediction I do still I think we'll get 16 points out of it but I do think it's just going to be seven regulation dubs and I think there's going to be two overtime Ls in there uh where you know we're going to fight for it we're going to be in it but we just might not get it I think we got a couple back to backs in there we haven't had any of those yet this year we had a relatively easy October in that regard so I think some of those might catch us off guard you know you know, at the end of the day, yeah, like this is still a young team and they may not have that kind of conditioning to be able to keep up with the pace. 
Uh, you know, maybe that's a night where, uh, yeah, maybe you do sit a guy like Krebs or something and let Henestroza take in on that back-to-back or something. But, yeah, I think we'll get the 16 points, but two of those 16 points are going to be loser points. So I think it, ultimately it'll end up being a 507 win, seven losses. But I think we'll squeeze out a couple extra loser points out of some OT less losses in that for a total of 16 points on the month. I love Which, that prediction. I'm a guy who loves specifics. Like I, I'll usually say things like, oh, I'll be there in 17 minutes. Like I could just say 15. I really wish I had included overtime loss into my consideration. I love that prediction. Oh, my God. Uh you know, I would love to give details, but it is officially Tuesday, and I don't have that type of energy. I smell <laughs> like a sock. Um, well, whose fault is that? I know. I, I, I don't regret it at all, dude. I don't regret it at all. I'm sweating through my old, my old, you know, 1998 circa Dominic Hasek street hockey gear tonight. I was, fi- I was happy to break that old jersey out. The Mylek pads. Um, the only thing that would have made it better was if I had the old school Franklin glove and blocker. I do have those, but I tried to get my hand in them way too small, and I just wasn't fudging around with, uh, fudging around with that tonight. Um, but had a blast, and if me coming to the game and full goalie gets get to make goals every time, then I guess I'm going to do that a lot more often. Uh, I guess uh, Vinny – Intern Vinny's going to come in, uh, come into Key Bank Center with gray hair and tur- uh, turtleneck and blazer much more often. So, uh, with that being said, boys, you know, I'll hang up and listen. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And remember, this has been brought to you by Outlet Liquor, the place to buy a case over on George Room Boulevard and Labat Blue USA. Remember to drink Labat responsibly. And as always, let's go, Sabres. Hey everybody, this is Dwayne from Two Goalies on Mike, a show where we give you a behind-the-mask coverage of the greatest sport on earth, whether it be happening right here in Buffalo or around the hockey world. Now you might be thinking, hey Dwayne, why would I want to hear what you two idiots have to say about hockey? Well, first of all, rude. Second of all, we bring in coaches, players, analysts from your favorite programs from ESPN to Sportsnet to TSN. We're always on it. If you're a Sabres fan or just a hockey fan, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can check us out at trainwrecksports.com or the Dean Blundell Podcasting Network. Thank you for your support, guys, and I'll hang up and listen. everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 
I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.